This is Hollywood Breaks, the Hollywood Insiders podcast hosted by myself, Tim Thompson, and my colleague extraordinaire, Keith Rao. We dive into what's shaping the content making world today. This week, Keith and I discuss the insider's view of the Hollywood box office, what's really happening behind the Cruella and Quiet Place phenomenon that isn't happening with In the Heights. We also want to discover what OTT plays are happening and most important, what Netflix is dealing with with their failure of Jupiter Legacy and the possible pressure from their investors. So one of the questions you asked um, in your pre-show prep here, is Disney starting to feel the pressure from talent? Um, that's almost like the opposite kind of pressure for an OTT platform, isn't it? Like the, the talent's really kind of asking Disney to, to step up and... Well, here's uh, the thing. So when you think about it, you look at Netflix, right? So Netflix pays huge in the front, the, the front end. They pay big time in the front end so they don't have to worry about the back end. Traditionally, uh, movie deals or star deals work where you, once the studio kind of hits break even, whatever that happens to be in the weird world yeah. of studio accounting. <laughs> yeah. Um, then Good luck on that starts, sometimes. Then bonuses start to accrue to the talent. That wasn't. That's not really in place at Netflix. They pay more up front because there's less in the back end. And Netflix is notoriously, not, excuse me, notoriously stingy with their data to talent in terms of how the movie's performing. So it's sort of like, okay, well, we'll pay you up front, shut up, go away. Disney's a different beast because Disney is a movie. It, they're, they're a theatrical studio. They were a theatrical studio. Now they're more of like an OTT, becoming a tech company, basically. Sure they are. And their deals, like for, you know, I read an article this past week where the, they were talking about Dwayne Johnson and Emma Stone with regards to the upcoming Jungle River Cruise or whatever the name of that movie is. Yeah, ju Jungle Cruise. Jungle Cruise. And then um, uh, Cruella in terms of how they perform because all most of the, most of the deals that this ta these talent made was for a theatrical release. But the movies are still getting a theatrical release so there's this whole thing about, well, how do what, what's what, because they, Disney just went full, like Disney plus, we're just going Disney plus it's riding high. Wall street loves it. There's no reason to shift course now. And then you look at sort of the numbers and Cruella's like, meh, I mean, it's not great. And we have no sort of insight into, uh, how it's done on Disney Plus, and you mean you mean box office, box, traditional box office? We're saying yeah, like we're looking at right because box office is public. We yeah. all know what the box office is. There's no way to hide those numbers. The box office mojo kind of numbers, yeah. So yeah. the agents and the the team for the talent can't be like, oh, I know what we made that weekend. Look at this box office mojo, rent track, NRG. All the here, are all the numbers. Where's my bonus, baby? Yeah. Now with Disney Plus, it's like they're not releasing any of the information. So the talent's like, well, how much are you making on on this? And it's it's a big deal because if you flip the script and look at you know what happened with H uh, Warner Media or Discover Warner Brothers, whatever the heck it's going to be called, um, they went full. They just did it. Said we're going to do a wait just just a second. Let's let's vote against Discover Warner Brothers. That sounds like a backlot tour. Well, no, it's Warner Brothers Discovery. Okay, go. <laughs> so I original. Like, Disco <laughs> Discover and Warner Brothers they, and Warner Brothers they even, Discovery. They, they took out the most iconic part of it. The shield is gone, and now it looks like some sort of Superman Returns like type logo. 
And I'm like, oh, man. Like, how much did you pay a consultant to come up with that? Yeah, right, right. Warner Brothers Discovery. Ooh, that's original. Anyway, <laughs> but if you look at, like, what happened with that, where there was a lot of, like, goodwill that was just burned to the ground. And in this past week in the LA Times, they did an article on sort of Warner Media, and they interviewed Toby Emmerich and Carolyn Blackwood, who are both sort of the heads of Warner Brothers. And they interviewed Brian Lord, who's like the poobah at CAA. And he basically came out, the question was asked, do you feel that Warner, Warner Media has done enough to sort of repair the damage that was done by the sort of de facto announcement that everything is going on HBO Max? And he said, I don't. So wow. right there, once the media, once the merger goes through, that's going to be job one, is repairing a lot of those relationships, which are still, I mean, they paid a lot out. They paid on the estimate of like $200 million additional dollars to talent because of those decisions. And they don't feel that one of the biggest talent manager, um, talent agents in town has said, you guys haven't done enough. So maybe Disney knows this. Do you think that, I'm not going to even say, do you think this is Disney? I'm going to say that Disney recognizes that for the talent base, really, where are they going to go? Are you going to go to Warner Brothers? They're not doing very good. Uh, if you touch Paramount, you're really just talking Param Paramount Plus and Universal. We still don't know what their distribution strategy is. Sony has no OTT platform. Like there, no one else is really dominating. So Disney can use their like you know Mickey Mouse right. muscle again. Yep, and kind of bully whatever group they want to to get something out of it and. And they they can pull that leverage and say, oh, yeah, no. for now, we're going to, sure, we had one contract. Look, we're going to do it our way. And we have plenty of lawyers to figure out how to how to make sure those contracts work out well. And then there'll be kickbacks eventually again. But I think this transition, Disney knows it, it favors them. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they, I mean, it's, it goes back to the same, you know, the battle with the exhibitors in terms of the licensing fees, like. Disney's like, no, this is what you're going to charge. This is what we're going to, it's going to be a 51, 49 split. Take it or leave it. What are you not going to take the next Avengers? Are you not going to take the next Marvel movie? Are you not going to take the next Star Wars movie? Yeah, you're going to take it. So just go with it. I mean, they, they're known for using their muscle mm -hmm. to get what they want. And I also think that, you know, with a lot of these articles that are written by people who are sort of really deep insiders, there's often an agenda. Like someone's like, okay, let's get the conversation started. Let's get Bob Chapik worried about town in town, getting nervous about working with Disney. Sure. So it's a planted story. But let's be honest. Most of the talent has a big enough ego that they're not going to turn around a Disney movie right. because they know everybody and their brother is going to see it. So you're right. It's 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 a real. It, it's it's more of sort of this chess game that is played in town with these various articles in terms of you know, what the messaging is and, you know, who, who's, who's trying to make a move and get more from the big studios, because you're right. Disney has a lot of muscle in town right now. And there's no way that a, a talent's going to say, you know, forget it. They're not going to give me a good back end. It's yeah, like, well, sure. yeah, but your movie's good. You're going to get the mo Disney marketing machine behind you and you're going to be on a million eyeballs within the first weekend, probably because of, because of the popularity of Disney plus. It does seem like, I mean, we're, we're, we all know this Hollywood is changing to this degree and these OTT platforms are becoming the muscle of the current studio space, the content making space, the distribution space. I mean, they're, they're more and more creating that monopoly and their ability, their power to make a deal, get what they want to out of it, um, grab the talent, you know, all, all that, like we're seeing that shift of 
of um, influence from one space to the other, or in Disney's case, retaining it. Good for them. This is, you know, what their brilliance is. There's no doubt about it. Um, usually when we hit this kind of pressure, there's going to be some kind of strike, a writer strike, an actor strike, a director <laughs> strike, something like that, right? Because yeah. all of a sudden it's like, wait, those contracts that we had, which are really kind of industry norms determined by the guilds that determine, you know, hey, you know, how are you going to represent all talent? Let's make sure we have a, a cohesive contract that works for everybody. So I'm going to say there's going to be some pressure um, at some point that's going to tip that over and try to create a new norm for these writers, directors, producers, actors, the guilds, so they can kind of make something solid in this next evolution of the career. And we yeah. saw, I mean, I probably see it twice in two, two big moves in, um, in the last 20 years um, that I could think of. I know the big writer strike was an, you know, create an evolution of reality TV, but the writers were trying to, I mean, if you want to shut down Hollywood, have the writers go on strike. That's a, that's a bad yeah, move. That's I must the way feel to do like it. Everyone else can go on strike, <laughs> but writers go on strike and nobody knows what to say. Even, yeah. even presidential candidates don't know what to say on a writer strike. Like everyone's right. screwed in that situation. Um, but there's a, there's a possibility of pressure there. Um, but it also like, I, I just keep thinking about the influence of just, you know, digital platforms. Um, I don't. I uh, I I saw you, um, you know, commented back when I when I tagged you on that LinkedIn post from Jeff Schultz, and I had met Jeff Jeff Schultz years ago at the uh, Nappy Streaming Plus conference. I think you were there. Were you there? With I was. Me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I might have met him briefly because I was at yeah. that streaming conference. Yeah, that was the one in downtown. Um, that was a. That we was were at the downtown. W. No, Hollywood. In Hollywood. The yeah. W in Hollywood. You're yes. totally there. Yeah, I was there. I for think that. you were with yeah, Seamus. I was there. Sitting there. Yep. Um. I just I had a sidebar conversation with with Jeff, brilliant, brilliant man, and really kind of working a strategy through the platform. Uh, I want to say originally CBS Radio at that point Pluto TV. Now I see that he's on to uh, Paramount Plus, but um, to think that P Pluto TV is hitting a billion dollars in revenue, um, and on the ad side, really is going to show us like there's this evolution that there's you can make money. These players are doing something. But there's another content need. I mean, it's another content hole to fill of these people that aren't going to do the OT, the pay pl platform items necessarily. Um, but they're going to want these ad ad revenue spaces, and that's a you know Pluto has to make their own deals. They have to kind of keep up with the content space eventually. Um, but I can imagine them with a billion dollars in revenue getting into some of this space too, wanting to buy buy a studio, buy a production company make some original content and putting even more pressure on these guilds, the actors, directors, writers, yeah, and saying, totally hey, now it. we have this and other other platform that's good, that we're not going to give you the same deals we had before. Yeah, I think what's interesting about it, though, is because when I saw that article, I started to think about it. And it seems to me that the AVOD, which is the ad-supported video on demand, um, seem to be popular with consumers. They seem to be more willing to, they want to take the lesser price point for the ads and I have the Peacock version where there's, uh, it's not fully ad supported, but there's minimal ads. So it's like the mid tier. And I have to say the ads are not annoying. Like there's a little clock countdown. So you know how much time you have and you know, you can always mute the screen and it's, it, so for, for the price point in which you're paying for it, it seems that a lot of consumers are open to that and prefer it 
in a lot of ways. So it'll be interesting to see in the next few weeks because I know HBO Max is or they have launched or are about to launch their ad supported version at like $9.99, which is $5 cheaper than what you pay for the non ad supported version. Um, and, you know, Paramount Plus, I think, has a version of it, too. So it's it'll be interesting to see if with all that shifting and the ability of how many uh, of these platforms each consumer is willing to apply to, what power that grants places like Pluto, like Roku, like all these other places that sort of have these other ancillary funds and whether or not they're going to go out and start acquiring. We know Roku bought Quibi's content, so they know they're getting in the game. So Pluto, which is now sort of owned by Viacom, sort of has that opportunity to sort of play in that space. So it'll be interesting to see with all that money flowing in, what, what they do with it and whether or not that comes to bear for pressure on sort of the unions or even the membership of the union pushing on their leadership to push for more clarity in terms of what backend deals and residuals as far because the whole streaming thing has opened a whole new can, can of worms with the studios and the unions. So and now that there's sort of this day and date happening a lot where you release it in theaters and on the streaming platform what that does to all those deals as well. Well, you have, um, you know, the AVOD space too, it's, you're talking about actors that are on the, in the advertisements, advertising space as well, which often had yeah. itself play out in different markets. There was different market demographics. And now would those have to be all blended to like, no, it's digital. Like what, you know, to, to designate the market demographic is interesting. Um, you know, I, I wonder if this speaks to maybe the evolution of the, of the commercial space. Um, it's been years, but you know, your friend of mine, Rita Drucker and what Snapchat was doing with their commercial uh, spots on their platform. And uniquely it wasn't the commercial could, would just interrupt wherever you were on the show, you could adjust what the commercial segments were and where they fell on your piece of content. So as a content creator, you were playing with the cliffhanger again, and you can work towards that commercial space uh, dynamically on your, on the platform. Um, but also, you know, the evolution of the commercial within that space, because Snapchat was such an interactive environment, you can skip, skip through and you had to watch the commercials. Um, and I remember these clever, um, I want to say farmers commercials or something like that, that were just really short, very quick witted and got the, the idea done and you were right back into your content. Um, I wonder if the evolution is taking place in some of the Pluto TVs and, and Hulu's and Peacock's are really creating such an influence that those creators are doing something different. We don't often talk about that crossover, but there's a reality of that crossover in the entertainment segment. It's been there since television was invented. Well, it's interesting because one thing I've noticed that it also sort of allows for more creativity because typically in a, in a network space, you're, you're dealing with 30 and 15s. If you want to do a 60, it, it's a lot more expensive. Whereas sort of with the AVOD, you're a little bit more flexible. Like when I pause on Peacock, there's an ad that pops up. So it's like a billboard almost. So, and it ties to the idea that you're pausing what you're watching. So it's sort of not intrusive, like out of nowhere. It's like, oh, you're taking a break. You know, we like to take breaks at Allstate or whatever, something like that. And that's terrible, but you get you get the idea. Sure. And just have some actor's face frozen in some odd, yeah. You're right, exactly, exactly. So they take it, it so it's it allows sort of the companies to offer a more robust, uh, marketing option to the various brands. 
Um, so I think it's definitely going to lead to more of that. I mean, you and I sort of exchanged some emails about what Roku's doing with the sort of their brand studio and doing sort of a kind of what to watch show with Mariana Manunos and some uh, another guy whose name escapes me. Um, sort of like a mini entertainment tonight. It's like 15 minutes. It's brief. It kind of gives everyone an overview of what's 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 new on streaming, um, and it's usually sponsored by a brand yeah. of some sort. Oh, that's yeah. So I mean, that's one way to do it. I mean, I think again, you and I disagree on this point. I think that's what Comcast was doing when we were doing some of the what to watch at Comcast. Right, we were trying to do it, but it was it was a little. We were limited in terms of the materials we were given because it was usually just the promos that the, the networks had cut. Um, and you're sort of, but, uh, simply the idea of like a state pr straight promo space where you can watch. Yeah. Really. Yeah. The what to watch items. Yeah. Although I'd have to say not quite where it needs to be when you're talking about infinite content, no. it's not one of the greatest challenges of our generation in the entertainment space. Well, the other thing is I think it's, you have to build the trust and authenticity because people aren't going to trust you and believe you're being authentic unless they know that you're, you're actually endorsing something because you truly believe it's good or whether or not you're being paid to say that. And for something like that with Roku and their brand studio, it feels like it's more that Maria and her co-host are being paid to say, this is really good. You should check it out. Sure. You know, not, Necessarily, they believe it's really good. It's more entertainment tonight than it was Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you got to build sort of, it's not going to be effective unless there's some semblance of an authenticity to it that leads people to believe that this will is actually a good guide in terms of what's good and what's not. Sure. Should we talk about box office? Yeah, let's talk about the box <laughs> office. So this, I know, you know you've been chopping at the bit. I've been holding that back. So it's kind of exciting. We, we get to talk about a box office. Uh, so that you had something to uh, jump into. Tell me about the box office. Okay. So I, I'm excited to talk about it for our listeners because we haven't talked about a box office in, I think, since the show started, really. <laughs> no, that's what we recognize the box office. In the midst of a pandemic. <laughs> and we've never really done a box office discussion. So I'm kind of excited about it. But uh, anyway, um, so we had In the Heights and Peter Rabbit 2 that released this weekend. Um, and there was a lot of buzz behind In the Heights. It's Lin Manuel Miranda. Um, he he, uh, it's his musical, his first musical they wrote. He wrote it, I think, at West well Wesleyan. Yep. And um, he uh, he wanted. I think he was nominated for Tony for it. John Chu, who directed Crazy Rich Asians, was director. Warner Brothers threw a crap load of money marketing behind it because it was everywhere. Sure everywhere yeah and they got like endorsements from hugh jackman oprah like they, they were pulling all the the stops and it was a bit of a belly flop for them um which is funny because i almost watched it because when i signed on to i'm gonna say amazon amazon or apple hbo max well one probably yeah, apple because i doubt yeah. amazon would promote so it, it was HBO apple max. then i hit, hit my apple button yeah. and there it was and i thought should I watch this? And then I thought, well, I probably shouldn't hit the button until I have kids in the room. I should make sure I know what it is before I start turning it on with kids in the room. So it's interesting because crazy, I'm sorry, Quiet Place 2 yeah. is, I think, I haven't seen the official numbers, but it's going to be number one again for like the, the second week. No, it wasn't number one last week. That was Conjuring, but it's going to be number one again. Um, so obviously a disappointment for Warner Brothers. Uh, you know, obviously... Everyone will say, well, it's on HBO Max too, so we have no idea what the nose numbers look like. It's not exactly a well-known musical property. Musicals always somewhat struggle to begin with. 
and it's not as well known as a Hamilton, for example. Sure. Um, so that's where it's sort of the struggles. But I wonder if this is sort of a sign of the new reality that maybe the only the movies that will really pull people out are movies that they absolutely feel they have to see in theaters. Well, well Quiet Place Two. You wanted you want to know the ending. <laughs> Right, and so there's a right. finite period at which you can be surprised at the ending, opposed to watching the right. spoiler, you know, TV commercial that's going to come out in a few months. So I'm wondering if this means that, in terms of theatrical releases, whether or not we're looking at where either it has to be some property that has a big, well, re- well regarded, well known IP behind it. It's a visual effects extravaganza, like a Godzilla versus Kong. Or it's a horror movie because horror movies are things you want to see with people and you like to be scared in a dark theater. Sure. Or comedy, which is another movie thing that you like to you like to be in a theater and laugh with other people when you watch a comedy. Um, so is that what we're looking at here? Or is it really, because I've seen a lot of articles where everyone's like, well, it was on HBO Max. It's not a really well-known property. It's like, here we go with all the old school excuses of why a movie doesn't open instead of really kind of digging down and sort of, why, you know, is this a sign that the types of movies that people are going to pay to see now are going to be very limited to a certain particular yeah, genre. I like that theory because I think there's some re- I, I, stepping true in my decision making. So I'm going to say that that part doesn't mean it's that means it's good um, data, but there is some reality of I could put that on for later. It's going to be entertaining. I'm definitely going to watch it, um, but I could kind of pause that one for later where there is. What is that suspense moment or that pop culture moment that makes you want to just go out and make sure you, you get it in, you know? Um, so I think Quiet Place definitely has that. You know, the Peter Rabbit seems to be coming out strong. And I'm, my theory there is like, you just have to have a, something for, for the family. So it's safe. It's easy. The whole family can go out and do something. You can buy your five seats in the, seats in the theater before you get occupancy kind of an issue. Um, right. And there's, there's a nice, easy, easy push for that. Um, my surprise is Cruella, how, how well that's performing. Cause I didn't know what the market was for that. And I kind of thought of that as kind of like the, you know, the other ones where I can just like put that on pause someday I'll see it, but it want to drive me to get there. And I think that's going to be right in the top, top three or four. Well, I think we're still, we're still in the era of the pandemic box office because there's still restrictions in terms of how many people you can have in a theater um, you know, I would say like 75 to 80% of theaters are now open. So we've got mostly, we're mostly back to normal. So there's always going to be the air, there's going to be asterisks next to all these movies because they're still releasing in sort of the pandemic atmosphere. But we, you know, I still think there is some shift that's happening, but every article I read, it just feels like, Oh, everyone wants to go back to the movies. See, we told you it's great. Yay. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this weekend kind of threw that narrative out the window because everybody thought in the Heights was going to be like a 35, $40 million movie. And it really did not perform well for Warner brothers. And Specifically meaning we're not, I don't know where we're going to see how it did on HBO max. We may not see those numbers. So we're not going to know how, I mean, now granted it could have, as I'm speaking, they could be releasing the press release right now saying it blew up HBO max. And then I can eat my words. But at the same time, you know, the box office was really sort of the hope here. And that's why they pushed it off for a whole year waiting for the moment when it was a, it was, was a good time to release it. And I think they were hoping for much more than what they got. And specifically think, I think that you're, you know, from your 
perspective, your career, even the conversation we have with Tim Heidel, so that's that recent, the, the box office should respond to marketing. So the media push, the marketing reach, uh, the, the number of uh, ads you're buying should have a response rate that you could see you know, in, in your box office mojo uh, rundown or whatever. And um, that influence, I think, is what you recognize isn't there. It's like, I wonder if you could, if people understand what it takes to make a box office movie now. To, to promote it in such a way you can get the returns that you want to when you do that kind of advertising, opposed to recognizing what you're saying is, is like, no, we could try all we want to. The audience isn't going to show up in the near future, at least, because we're in a post-pandemic world. We've taught people different viewing behaviors. Of course, they're going to watch that on HBO Max. That makes sense. But why would they go and sit down in a, in a seat and eat popcorn for that one? That's not a popcorn-driven movie kind of a thing. I think you're, that's the delineation you're finding. Right. And the other thing is you don't have to pay a premium on HBO Max where you have to pay a premium on a Disney Plus. So for Corella, you had to pay $30 to see it at home in a top of being a subscriber to Disney Plus. Whereas HBO Max, you don't have to pay a premium. You just watch it. So let me ask you a question about that because I'm so curious about that, that $30 number. If I went to the movie theater with my family, I'd be $50 into it. Easy. Right. And uh, don't forget the snacks. I feel like I'd more want to see Carilla in the movie theater and pay more to sit in someone else's seat and eat snacks and whatever. So yeah, we're sixty dollars into it, than pay thirty bucks to sit on my couch and watch it on my TV. At your at your own like, leisure, at your time, like you can pause it if you have to go potty or whatever. But I don't. Thirty bucks seems a lot to watch my television. Does that does that ring true for you? I'm like that's my TV. I already own that. Those are my. Yeah, yeah, it does. I want to. If I'm going to pay money, I'm going to use someone else's stuff. I don't know what that is like, or I want to get that other kind of you know awesome movie theater feeling. If I want to sit and watch it, I think that what Disney's trying to do is they're trying to find the the perfect sort of middle ground, I think, because they're, you know, they're still experimenting. And, and this is what Bob Chapik has come out and said, this is why we're doing this. We're still experimenting. We're still, it's, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. We're still trying to figure out what this, this landscape is going to look like. So it's a, as far as a value proposition, you know, I would never pay $30 to watch it at home. I just wouldn't because sure. I don't feel the need to watch it because, uh, you know, the crowd I run with now, which is, you know, mid forties parents of young kids yeah. aren't, aren't running to watch Cruella. And we're not talking about Cruella when I go to parties, it's just not something that comes up. And it is for us, right? It's not a kid's movie. I mean, from the, from the ads, I was like, I don't, yeah. Right. No, it isn't. I mean, it's based on it, but the ads are very like vengeful and dark. So I wouldn't take my seven year old or five year old to see it. And I don't think anyone else would. Yeah. So it's interesting to, figure out like, well, with a movie like that, when it sort of takes an edgier tone, much like Maleficent did with the Sleeping Beauty uh, story, whether or not it's worth it. Like I, like you, I, I for me, it, it isn't worth it. it. It just, it doesn't make sense to me, but I know there are a lot of families who are sitting at home who have older kids and it's like, well, what do you guys want to do? And you know, the reality is there isn't a lot of comfort yet. Like I've noticed it. When you go out, there are still a lot of people that aren't necessarily comfortable going back to normal yet. Yeah, well, that's showing in the overall numbers. I mean, it's only $2 million a day or $3 million a day in return. So that that plays into it as well because you go to yeah. your family and you say, you guys want to go to the movies. Like, oh, I don't, don't want to go to the movies. Like, Ew, gross. I was like, well, we could pay an additional 30 bucks and watch Cruella. Yeah, let's do it. 
And it, and it, again, it goes to sort of the other thing is it sort of goes to this idea that, you know, Apple sort of in, invented with this, uh, you know, the easy, just push it. Like you don't have to get out a card. You don't have to pull it out, look at your credit card and be like, do I really want to do this? No, it's a simple button. Yes. Yes. Let's watch a movie. Yeah. So the ease of it also makes it, I think a lot easier for people just to commit in terms of, of paying the money for it. So yeah, just the old pay-per-view deal. I don't yeah. think it's worth it. I would definitely want to see something like that, maybe on a bigger screen, but of course I'm a movie lover. So I, I want to lean more towards seeing it, but I don't, I don't have FOMO with Cruella. So <laughs> I'm, I'm very much inclined to wait until it's free on Disney plus. Cause I'm in no rush to see it. Well, that was going to say too, like sure. 30 bucks now, or, I'm um, long enough to wait to get get the same exact experience. Technically free 30, 30 or 45 days later, yeah. depending on what their window is. And I am I, is it going to have be such a spin? I think I've already seen this, uh, you know, story in Wicked already and, and Maleficent. I, it's just, it's yeah. just like taking the Wicked. Um, yeah, it's not an exactly original proposition. And Cruella wasn't exactly, I mean, she's a legendary villain for sure in the Disney canon, but I don't know if she rises to the level of a Maleficent, the evil queen, um, you know, that. Yeah. I think of Glenn Close when she did it in the live action version. <laughs> oh yeah. She was so yeah. great in that. She was she? over the top and it yeah. was good, but this, but she was I, in the I, original I, story to want to hear the backstory. Although I'm a Emma Stone fan. I think that it could be interesting. Yeah, it could be interesting. I mean, I think they try to make her a little bit more sympathetic than the original villain was in the movie in the original animated. So tell me, tell me this Netflix thing, the first costly what? mistake. Oh yeah, you're asking this question. Uh, so it's interesting. There's this show called Jupiter Legacy, which I believe is a uh, Mark Miller, who's a very well-regarded um, comic book guru, um, and I, I think this is his brainchild. And the issue is that. The rumors going around about how much Netflix dropped on this, um, there's some estimates they spent $130 million on it, which is pretty bonkers for a TV that show. Pretty, uh... And then with regards to sort of once you throw in post-production costs and everything, it's upwards of $200 million. Now, they ran a couple episodes and they announced the week it premiered it was canceled. Now, they didn't say it was canceled. Sure. They didn't use the C word. They said they were, re they were releasing the talent from their obligation. And they were going to explore other avenues to expand the story. But the, the show, as originally conceived, was not going to. Well, they didn't, I don't even think they said it wasn't going to continue. They just said, we're releasing the actors from their contracts so they can go off and book other projects, which basically means the show is toast. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to retain them for any reason. Yeah. Now, normally you'd just be like, okay, but... It's a costly mistake. Um, I've seen articles where they're sort of pushing this off on Cindy Holland, who was the most recent um, failure, fail, uh, keeper test failure <laughs> at Netflix. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the scapegoat. Um, and she left months ago. Um, but not too long after that, Brian Wright, who I guess was like a VP in their sort of original content division, came up, was the guy who brought in Stranger Things and all these great titles that have sort of made Netflix what Netflix is today, he's also leaving. And he was sort of brought in, his role shifted where he was sort of put in charge of some of these big deals that Netflix signed with Shonda Rhimes and Ryan Murphy. And 
Shonda Rhimes has Bridgerton, so she, I think her deal's doing okay, but Ryan Murphy's had some costly flops for them. The politician, I don't think, did as well as they wanted it to. Yeah. He's got another one out right now about a designer. Um, and a lot of people are saying Ryan Murphy's kind of lost his edge since he left Fox. Oh, is that Halston? Halston, yes, thank you. Yeah. And so there's a lot of questions about whether or not Netflix is starting to feel the pressure of sort of being this all-consuming streamer that's not afraid to spend a lot of money. And now are we looking like that some of those decisions are starting to come back and, you know, even though they're trying to do it differently, sure. <laughs> as Richard Rushfield has said, we are in a business of hits and it doesn't matter how much algorithms you have or what have you, if it doesn't feel like a hit and you don't have a lot of hits, you're pretty much toast. So, you know, you can have failures and that's not, yeah, it's really it's wrong you, when you get to 200 million and you fail, it's, it, it's like, a, it's like, um, it's like Pluto Nash, you know, like you can get to such a huge degree or, <laughs> Or the water world. Although I think well, water Ishtar. world eventually saved their Ishtar. ass. Ishtar. 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 It's totally what it is. <laughs> Where you get to, it's the it's the inability to make the decision to stop going instead of um, trying to think. Oh, I'll just solve it tomorrow. I'll fix it again. I'll fix it again, and keep spending money on something. Well, I think the the ultimate reality is that Netflix had taken on such a debt load, growing so fast, and the debt was so cheap, and Wall Street was loving what they were seeing. But now we know that they're trying to pull back on some of that debt. Rightfully so, I think. And, you know, when you start hearing about Netflix spending $200 million on a TV show and it not really, you can't, you're basically canceling it the week it premieres, which that's a, that's a, that, I mean, any other studio, that's a career ruining flop. You're fired. Like your, your ass is out in the street. Sure. So obviously they're sort of shifting blame on this and Brian Wright seems to be the one who's going to take a little, you know, since he's leaving now, one would argue that maybe he was involved in some regard and he failed to keep her test. Well, Brian, so, you're more than welcome to come on Hollywood breaks. We'd yeah. be happy to have you as a guest. <laughs> yeah. Now maybe he'll, he'll be, you know, now we'll, you know, we'll be free to now we have a little somewhere. more, you know, open about what happens versus everyone else who's just clamming up and doesn't want to talk anymore. Anyway. Yeah, that's uh, their loss is our gain, right? That's yeah, exactly. It's fine with us. Yeah, more guests, the merrier. I say. Yeah, to me, I think that the question that brings up most is just like, how much money does Netflix have? I mean, that just seems like an insane amount of money. Especially, what a weird move to cancel it while it's being released. Like, just give it two weeks at least. Or do you just? Are they just admitting it sooner than that? That didn't work. Yeah, I think it also may force. I mean. This may be pie in the sky, but it may force some semblance of accountability on Netflix's part. Like until Wall Street and their investors start demanding, we want to see numbers like this two minute watching is nonsense. We want to see real engagement, how many people are sitting through an entire episode, not just watching the first two minutes, what, you know, which is basically just the credits, like what, what, what does this really look like? And if, Listen, you're right. There are going to be failures. Everyone fails. I think I applaud Netflix for at least trying to make something big. Like most of the other bigger studios are too risk averse to the point where we're just getting remakes and, you know, IP that's been around forever. That's just being pulled out of the basement from the 80s. Um, so I give them credit for taking a risk. But at the end of the day, is this going to force if another one of these flops happens? I think Wall Street's going to start being like, what's going on over there? Like you guys are losing all this money. You're spending all this money on these titles and they're not working. 
do you guys have a pro- quality control or is it just about shift throwing out as much content as possible, which they are doing obviously. Um, and as you pointed out, not always in, in the, uh, I was going to say maybe a case of accountability, I should make some good content. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Wouldn't that be nice to have a, a subscription and you actually like what you would see? They're not necessarily accountable to anybody other than themselves right now. And a lot of other studios are accountable to, you know, shareholders and chairmen, of, you know, the board and all that kind of stuff that sort of forces them to be more risk averse. So I'm wondering if there's another, if there's another flop of this nature, whether or not Netflix will start feeling the pressure to be a little bit more open with their um, uh, details in terms of how shows perform and movies for that matter. I'd be curious. I love that kind of pressure on Hollywood or <laughs> a Netflix kind of situation and see what it kind of cleans up. It's, I mean, I, I could just, I guess my rant always is there's just too much content anyway. Yeah, so it's, it's nearly is. ridiculous trying to think of like the amount of content that's being created that can't ever be consumed at the degree which is being created. There should yeah. be some discernment of um, what really is good and how to make great stuff and and knowing what it takes to to be an influence in society and hopefully a good influence in society and not just making garbage that anyone will watch yeah um so there's there's a lot of opportunity in this space too that goes way beyond just like making money and and the turn and burn and making wall street happy um and i'd love to see some leadership i just want someone's name back in in the marketplace where it's someone you believe in and are you believe is a thoughtful place um, oh, it's going to take a lot to get me there, Tim. I'll tell you that. I right know. Now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyone else coming up? Um, Guest-wise? Uh, for guests? Yeah. The next couple of weeks? Uh, nobody I can reveal publicly yet. I'm okay. still working on some behind the scenes. But um, if, if things start to fall into place, it could be a very exciting couple uh, months for us. So stay tuned. Yeah, sure. In the meantime, this week, we, you know, watch the box office numbers and see what's, what's happening there. I might be watching um, some HBO Max so with that I can give you some reports on. I mean, it got great. In the Heights got great reviews. It's just yeah. you know didn't have anybody real names in it, and it was based on a property that wasn't necessarily hugely popular when it was on Broadway. But yeah, I don't know. Um, well, you know, I don't know any of the songs yet. I didn't. I haven't. Unlike Hamilton, where I memorized it before I went there. I, I this wasn't the one I memorized that time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a different it's a different it's it, you know it's a different show than Hamilton. It wasn't the blockbuster that Hamilton is. So, I mean, I think that definitely played into it. But I think there's a little bit more to it than that. I again, I think there's more behind it. You know what? As you say that, to wrap this up, as you say that, this Spielberg West Side Story might be. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be something out there to recognize. You know. If um, if you're right, if it's the format and the type of movie, because obviously you know Spielberg should have some notoriety, but it's the same film. It's not even the same. That's not necessarily. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna interject because that's not necessarily an apples to apples comparison. West Side Story is a beloved musical. It's well known by countless generations, all the way back to the '60s movie, all the way up till today. Sure. It's it's performed in high schools. It's it, it's a well known musical. So I don't necessarily think it's a apples to apples comparison. Now, if we're going by genre, but you could also argue that it's overplayed too a little bit there. Yeah, you, know? you could, you could absolutely argue that. Now, the point of this version is it's supposedly made more modern. So some of the yeah. more different aspects of the musical that was made in the fifties and sixties, obviously had some of those, those cultural uh, moments tied to it. 
that's been adjusted, obviously, and there's a more robust involvement. Um, Rita Moreno is in it as well. Um, So she's an additional character. So there's a lot of different things that happen, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see like, cause that'll be, well, that's also around Christmas when everyone wants to, it's hard to get everybody to agree to a movie and West Side Story. That's a total Christmas movie, isn't it? That's it's a movie that everyone be like, Hey, you want to go see West Side Story? (sighs) All right. Yeah. Like it's just, but it could prove my point in that if, nobody wants to go see it, then maybe we are. Well, it might even be too far out. If you're thinking six months from now, the world is well, very it's different. impossible to predict anything in this world. Yeah, like, yeah. We could be in the midst of a, God forbid, another surge in cases and things could shut down again. Who knows? Well, here, here's what I can predict. We're going to be making Hollywood breaks on Fridays. So this Friday coming up, yeah. we'll be have more to talk about that for sure. Yes. All absolutely. right, my friend, thank you so much. Um, and I know this Always is a little a pleasure, bit delayed Tim. for the, uh, from our usual time, but, I had things to do on Friday, so it's good to yeah, 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 keep yeah, it going. Yeah, <laughs> and of course, Lydia, thank you for you know doing your part, keeping us going, and all that you do to kind of make the sure that people see the show. If you like what you see, please subscribe. Um, we are on Apple and all the other major podcast platforms. Feel, feel free to find us out there. Um, and until next week, we'll see you on Hollywood Breaks. Bye.